mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 133 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck. My new book is coming out very soon. Pre-orders are available now. Hit me up on social media if you want to know more about that. You've probably seen some tweets here and there, but more on the Maven effect another time. Right now, I'm not in author mode. I'm in podcast mode, and I am bringing you this episode live from PAX Australia. It's uh, at least a month ago now, about five or six weeks, but we are here. We've finally got the interview ready to go, and it's Graham Struthers from Devolver Digital. He is one of the co-founders of this company. For people who don't know, Devolver is a video game publisher specializing in indie games. We've had a lot of developers on this show over the years, but it was really great to talk to someone who's responsible primarily for getting these games and particularly small games out and distributed to a wide audience. And that's what Devolver do. They have a great reputation for shining a light onto these indie gems made by very small teams. And one of the reasons they work so well with small teams is they're quite small themselves. There's 16 people there, but they're able to get behind a lot of great titles and see them do well because of the work that they put in. Uh, You might've heard of some of them, Oli Oli, Hotline Miami has been a really big one. Broforce is one of my favorites. The Messenger, my friend Pedro, and Katana Zero, both coming out this year, have been some great little indie titles published by Devolver Digital. So as a co-founder, it was really cool to get Graham's background and history with the company and how it kind of built up with you know the digital distribution platform being a huge focus for them to the point that it's in their name, Devolver Digital. But I will let Graham tell the story. It was, as I said, really great to talk to him at PAX on the show floor. So you will hear a lot of the background noise. But thanks to the fine people over at Audio Technica, you'll hear us crystal clear. So without further ado, here's Graham Struthers, co-founder of Devolve Digital. Enjoy the show. Graham, thank you so much for joining me here at PAX. It's great to have you on the show. How is things? It's, uh, well, it's great. It's Australia. Weather's amazing. And I'm not in Brexit, Britain. So uh, Devolver's got a booth here. Is there a lot going on? Are you involved in in any of that? Or are you kind of here to uh, be on panels and that kind of thing? No, no, very much involved in uh, being here to show Fall Guys. Yeah. So, How's it been going so far? So far, so good. Yeah. I mean, this is the point in a game's life where everybody's super nice. Yeah. Because the game's not finished. The game's not finished. and uh, everyone is like very positive, mm. but it, it does feel like it's going really well. Sure. So I know that you are one of the founders at Devolver. Is that accurate? It is accurate. Yes. Yeah. So is there a, a current title that you hold within the company <laughs> that would describe what you do now? Um, I mean, I'm sure my colleagues have many <laughs> titles, but no, we've never really got around to that. Um, so sorry, no. The, well, maybe you could tell me the kinds of things that you do there. I'm sure you're more than just a figurehead. Right, uh, definitely uh, not the figurehead. Um, well, we're a pretty small company, I think. Most people who know about us know that. Um, so we've always had that, you do a bit of everything. So I'm based in London, uh, along with Andrew, who's one of our lead producers. Anna's down in Warsaw. So the three of us, by geography, tend to work with most closely. Um, and 
it can be anything from dealing with uh, developers, uh, finding games, uh, doing shows in Europe as well as out here, uh, handling really boring things like localization. Yeah. We can talk about that for quite a while if you want. Uh, we can, we can. And, and then in general, you know, dealing with maybe Sony and Microsoft because you know, they're people that address our, our part of their business are based in Europe. Mm. So it's, it's, it really is a bit of everything. That might explain why there's no defined title. Indeed. So they can ask you to do whatever needs to be done. Yeah. yeah? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So I think uh, we we know, I guess, what Devolver is now. You've got a very uh, good reputation for being kind of one of these wacky studios that's able to bring us a lot of games that we might not know about if they weren't being you know published or marketed through what you guys are able to do. But I'd like to hear about kind of the origin story and, you know, how you've become involved and how it's changed over the years. So take me back, take me way back. Uh, as long as you can remember, did you grow up with uh, an interest in games as a, a career or was that something that just no. kind of happened? Uh, I mean, when I was when I was a kid, um, I don't think it would have even occurred to me that you could make a living uh, or I could make a living in video games. I played games uh, when I was young and when I kind of went off to college and studied and didn't really know what I wanted to do. The only thing that was that I did do a lot of was, was photography. And um, when I left college, uh, my mother was like, there's no way you're going on the dole. That's not, that's not happening. So she kind of made me go get a job in a store that sold cameras. That was her, you know, you like photography. But they also sold video games. And, um, and that's where I kind of realized that most people who worked in, in the store didn't care about video games. So I ended up running that little bit of the store. Okay. What kind uh, of games are we talking oh, about? We're, we're, we're going back to, you know, uh, Master System, NES, and the beginnings of Super Nintendo. Um, and I kind of lucked out a little bit because games were taking off to, to enough of a level that the company wanted to get more into it. And I got to be the buyer, ultimately, for video games. Um, and through that, I met the publishers uh, and some developers and, again, figured that was a much more interesting side of the industry. So, kind of managed to get onto that side, kicked around a few different publishers. And during that time, I met uh, Mike Wilson uh, and Harry Miller. They had started up a gathering of developers. And, um, you know, it, managed to kind of convince Harry that he should hire me. Uh, um, so really that's, 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 that was around, I don't know, 2004 or five, something. Um, and that company, which had the terrible name of Gamecock, um, didn't really last very long. Uh, and, and partly because we were still trying to we were still stuck in that model where you were producing physical goods, right? Uh, so, you know, you're funding game development, you're funding production, you're funding distribution, you're funding salespeople, all of that stuff. And yeah, that, that just didn't work out. So the origin of Devolver came out of the flames of Gamecock. And that's when we decided we we're going to try uh, again, uh, but this time digital only. And, and that, was like a pretty transformative thing to just move away from the 
the retail world and just focus only on digital. So, so it was a, a simplification for you guys of the things that you had to be involved with that you were able to focus just on the, you know, the, the production. Yeah, I mean, it was, again, I don't know how interesting this is to the, your audience, but in the old world, if you made a video game, so you, you need all that money to fund it, then you need the money to produce it, then you need to have a whole bunch of people who go out and sell it. But when you sold it into that channel, retail, you might, even when your game was successful, not see your money back for maybe four, five, six months. So your cash flow was horrible. Whereas in digital, thanks to Steam, uh, they're like, yeah, we pay you every month. Yeah. Right, whoa. That's a real change. Uh, and so you could focus then on developing games, not trying to run a business. Yeah. And I think we're honest enough to say that we're much better at developing games than running a business. Okay. So how involved are you in the development side of games now? Like, I know there's a lot of, there's like a wide variety of developers that you work with and they all seem to have some things in common, but um, I guess there's still such a, a breadth of, of game style and, and uh, like just these bizarre concepts and creativity that people are able to come up with. So what, what's the Volvo's role in that side of things? So truthfully, we try to stay out of the creative side. Um, the reason why we've signed the game is because we want to see that game come to fruition. Uh, so we try to, to keep the, the creative aspects of the game development completely divorced from us. But at the same time, what we will do is we'll get involved uh, in the production side um, helping the developer understand the challenges that the game they want to make will make them address. Uh, even the more, again, more more boring things, I guess, uh, QA, production, uh, localization, uh, make sure the game can get onto the Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo platforms, conform with all of those regulations. Uh, so I think Devolver, we try to do the things that enable the developer to do the creative side to the best of their ability, rather than them getting sucked into that world of sure. spreadsheets. Yeah. So over this time, uh, I guess we kind of glossed over the, the thick of it, like the process of, of honing these skills and developing this knowledge about how this system works. So. What was that process for, like for you to really wrap your head around the ways that different industries work, you know, working with Steam, working with PlayStation, like the differences between different platforms and, you know, just kind of building that expertise that you need to really just have something that works in the end. Well, I mean, the sales pitch for PC is always the best one because you're in a platform that's open and Steam themselves are extremely open. Mm. So actually working there is, is by far the easiest place when you step into the world of console, yeah, you're going to step into a whole world of, you know, and these are there for good reason, you know, but uh, there's a lot of compliance you have to go through. Candidly, it's just repetition. It's 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 not something that anyone really gets excited about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's but, important, isn't it? But it's important. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something that is intimidating either. I think, you know, you could take someone of average ability, which is definitely me, and show them the process, and over time they'll get good at it. Um, but it's it's very necessary. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. And do you think Devolver has deliberately formed a specific identity with the types of games that it's worked with, and you know the, the style of these E3 conferences and things like that? 
How deliberate has that been? Is what I want to know. Well, the, the honest answer to the question is that when it comes to the games that we're involved in, many of the developers we're working with were now on the second, third and fourth game. So it's their journey that we are just part of. You know, like I use Free Lives as the best example, with starting with Broforce. The following game was genital jousting. After that came Gorn, which was VR. And, and now, just recently, Cricket Through the Ages, which is with Apple Arcade. So we had no influence on their direction, but we're still part of that. And so it reflects on us as well, right? People see that we're quite eclectic. Well, actually, you could argue that it's the developers themselves who are trying different things. Um, so we benefit from that. Uh, house style, I don't know that we think we have one, but we hear about it a lot from outside. Um, you know. We always would say, well, look, look, you, there is Hotline Miami uh, and Shadow Warrior, but there's also Hatful Boyfriend, Talos Principle, uh, Heave Ho. Uh, so we see that, we don't see that there's any one, I mean... There's connective tissue between these things though, that um, I, I think know, I feel like people can count on Devolver as like, almost a stamp of approval for something that's a bit different, oh, that's, they, that that's, they know is gonna be an interesting time. Very kind. Um, I, again, I think I my belief is that because we work with developers and we allow them to, to do exactly what they want, we get all the benefit. And um, and yeah, the quality of the games I think speaks. They all speak for themselves. Um, and Andrew, who's our uh, you know, senior producer, would say that when you look at the games in, in isolation, you can pick up the controller. I'd instantly know what you're there for. There's something about each of the games that there's, there's, there's almost like a very straightforward relationship between the game you bought and the game you play. Yeah, right. Okay. So uh, one of my favorite games this year is Katana Zero, which I had to wait a little bit longer to play thanks to our classification board. Um, are you allowed to talk about this? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example, I think, of these, these hoops you have to jump through. And, you know, I guess you, you say that they're these systems are in place for a reason, but uh, is that one of the most challenging things when you're getting those final stages together to, to make sure that the game's good to release in all these markets that you really want to get it in? And we had the same thing again with obviously Hotline Miami 2 and that uh, special edition that was on the Switch store for about a day. So we never start, whenever you start with a game, we're not thinking about that point in the future where it may run a file of the rules and regulations here in Australia or, you know, even, you know, China or, or you know, wherever. Um, and we've always taken the view that uh, we'll play by the rules. Um, so it is disappointing. Um, it's something that personally I don't really understand because I look at film and TV and why they get to be treated differently. Um, and it's a frustrating thing for a lot of people. I it think. is. And, and also, I mean, I've... I've been lucky enough to come to Australia, this is I think the seventh or eighth time, and it's always struck me as a very open-minded, fairly liberal kind of environment. So it seems like you've got some dudes, I think, I just imagine them to be quite old. They're using fax machines, they're, you know... I thought so too, but I did hear that there's, uh, there are some gamers on that board, and right. I think that they, they've been given a really strict set of rules, set of rules. From above that uh, is a yeah. bit out of hands, but hopefully we can see some reform. I still feel the video games are, are considered a lesser form of everything, you know, but you know, we just don't seem to be given the respect uh, that perhaps people who write uh, 
TV shows or whatever get um, no disrespect to them either but yeah. I guess it's a, it's a much younger form of entertainment and we feel like it's been around forever like especially people like me who've grown up with it's just always been there and we forget that you know to a lot of people this is something that's still evolving I mean it is still evolving but it's certainly not something that everybody understands yeah I agree with that yeah I think you're absolutely right so uh, we were talking about Steam before and how much that changed things for you. Like, How much do you feel like digital and uh, I guess you having that focus on digital is uh, is able to really just flourish because of uh, like things even as small as how fast your internet is can make a big difference? Yeah. But... Uh, well, I think for us, and that's how we see it, is digital has allowed us to make uh, games um, and be successful because Again, we're not reliant on having a big chunk of people in one country. Uh, when you add up the numbers worldwide, you get to something that makes a good little business. Um, so, and that was one thing that I really liked about getting into the digital space was that we could actually have the ambition to sell games worldwide. Whereas previously in the old world, world if you didn't have salespeople in Australia, you didn't sell your games here, right? So, you know, so from that point of view, I think it has allowed a lot of pretty interesting games to have a chance to succeed commercially. Um, and how, how each, you know, again, I was joking with a friend who's working at Infinity Ward about the fact that the new Modern Warfare is going to take about three days to install in certain countries. Yeah. You know, it's like, that is a pain in the ass, you know. So, maybe cloud gaming is going to save us all. And I imagine that you guys look quite closely at things like those developments in cloud gaming yeah. and even just retail versus digital sales. How much of a, of a factor is that for you as you plan or do you just kind of address what's happening in the present rather than project too much? We're pretty inquisitive people. So, of course, what's happening with, with uh, Stadia, uh, not only there, it's happening. I mean, Microsoft have got big plans in that space and, and even uh, Valve. I've got plans in that space. So, yeah, we, we're, we're talking to everybody about that. And if you if you see it as a benefit that for the users there's going to be a better experience, then you want to be involved in that, for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned before about some of these developers you work with, uh, for example, going from Broforce to, uh, what what's the name of that, the penis one? <laughs> Genital jousting. Genital jousting. I thought, how could I forget that? But, you know, you've got these people who have uh, come back and they're making, I guess, repeat games with you now. So the, the ones that are maybe you're trying to pick up for the first time or even the ones, these guys, that when you first found them, is there a process there where it's a pitch to you or are you out there actively trying to discover new independent artists and come alongside them, shine a light on what they're doing? Yeah, um, it, we seems, it seems to fall into several categories. One is developers that we're working with right now are making a recommendation recommendation saying, hey, you should check this out. Um, so they're looking at their peers, essentially? Yeah. Um, and that's led us to quite a few games. Um, second one would be, yeah, I mean, you know, we are, we do look, we, you know, coming here, for example, we've been around uh, the um, Pax Rising. Pax Rising, yeah. Uh, and again, we're always interested in seeing what's going on. Um, 
and then yeah we do get pitched obviously um, and I don't think there's any one way that we find games but those are, those are the three I can think of yeah. and is there anything specific that you're looking for like you mentioned that you see the games as being a quite a, a diverse thing despite I guess other people identifying some things that might be in common but is there something that you look at and think that's a devolver game not really no um, you just want it to be a good game yeah I, I mean we would we always have to think we mean we do give proper consideration to any project that are we the right people for this project um, I mean that can be the scale and ambition of the game might require a publisher with way more technical expertise than we have or it could be that uh, you know the game you know for example um, it could be a really cute family friendly platform game and it might be awesome but we might think we're not sure that we would be the right partner for that uh, so there's always that hesitation as well you have to consider that you're actually going to be able to do uh, do good good things for that project okay and I mean, if you've looked around at the indies here, it's, it's always, I'm always blown away by the creativity and the wackiness and the ability to turn something that seems like a ridiculous concept into something that's really quite deep and has a layer of depth to it. So how important do you think it is for events like PAX to give a showcase to these indies? And I guess I'm interested in your thoughts on the indie scene in general as uh, someone that's probably pretty close to that. So. This is my third time here, and I would say that the quality uh, and diversity of the games on show here this year is a step on from last year, which was itself a step on. So there's clearly something happening here. Um, and speaking with friends who are out here from both uh, Microsoft and Sony, they've been saying the same thing, which is super encouraging because I think it's fair to say that the Australian game development scene was decimated. Uh, back in the sort of PlayStation 2, Xbox 360 days. Um, studios closing. Studios yeah. closing, and a lot of them were foreign owned, you know, and they just decided to re cut costs and, you know. Um, so that's encouraging that there's now, it seems to be a vibrant scene. Um, and hopefully what this does is it brings attention, maybe it gets more media attention, not just gaming media, but maybe more you know, generic, general media, because I think Australia, probably more than a lot of countries, does require some government funding here because you don't, you're so far from everything. Uh, getting people to come here and see games or getting the developers out there to be able to pitch their games, whether that's in North America or Europe. A lot of extra costs that developers face here. So I think getting that engagement with government or, or state level funding, that'd be good. Yeah. More of that. We'll see. I mean, I, I think the state we're in now, Victoria, does have quite a good uh, indie support program compared to other states, but you can always do better, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, I want to know, is, is there any game that comes to mind when I ask, is, have you ever wished that you got onto a game before someone else? Or maybe you passed up on a game that you have seen take off and thought, damn, that would have been a great one for us. Um, there's, sorry, there's been, um, there's been a couple of projects that at the time uh, either we didn't have the means, as in, uh, you know, going back seven, eight years, we were pretty broke. <laughs> um, and, and there's certainly one where uh, we, uh, we just didn't kind of react mm. as quickly as perhaps we would have. 
So, um, which we like to tease each other about and say it was your fault, definitely your fault, not my fault, right? So there's been a couple of games that, 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 that we missed out on, I would say, uh, but they both went on to do really well without us, so hey. Uh, and then... Um, You'll have to say what they... Oh, what well, they one were. of them was Gang Beasts. Oh, right, yeah, yeah cool. Uh, it, it, so we... Went over to double fine or... It was... Well, they, they pretty much did a lot of it on their own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a time where we were like, oh, oh, damn it. Uh, uh, and um, I, I'm trying to think, there was there was a game that we did actually turn down. Uh, so we were like, yeah, but no. And that's gone on to do pretty well, which was a game called Bomber Command. Um, okay. So yeah, we're we're by no means visionaries. <laughs> but I mean, I guess there's, there's some other games that other people would have passed on that you were able to pick up and they've seen how successful they've been. Are there, like, we know Hotline Miami is, was such a huge title for you. Has there been a release that you've worked with that you felt like was a turning point for the company in, in terms of people take, starting to take notice or, or maybe getting the attention of developers more than before? Nothing really jumps out at me, I think. More gradual than... Yeah, it yeah. feels like that. And uh, We've always been very happy in our little uh, corner of the games industry. I think the thing that's probably taken us outside of that has been these dumb E3 uh, press conferences. Um, so, yeah. How much uh, how much thought goes into the, the direction of those each year? Oh, I don't involved. I don't actually know because uh, I get to see them when you do. Yeah. Uh, Nigel doesn't let me uh, see anything uh, at all. Um, Is that the way you like it? No. <laughs> no, and I, I especially don't like the fact it tells other people and not me. It's become a thing. Uh, what, what, what's, uh, what's usually your reaction once, once it's happening? Um, well, last year I was out, it coincided with our 10th uh, birthday, and um, Mike had rented this kind of like, I don't know, Astrodome kind of place where it was being projected up onto the roof. And uh, it was, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, but I, it just so happened I was sitting next to a couple of people from Nintendo, uh, really nice uh, people. And so when the Devolver Direct thing popped, there was a sort of degree of like, oh, um, obviously we've stolen this from you. I'm really sorry. It's <laughs> so, a, um, invitations, uh, you know, some serious form of It is, yeah. Uh, so this year, so I, I, didn't, I didn't see how they could top the, the years before. I, 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 I didn't see that coming. Um, and I thought it was—I thought it was hilarious. But yeah, um, I have no idea what they're going to do next. It definitely gives us all something to talk about and look forward to. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I'd like to know, Graham, what's been like the hardest part or the greatest challenge that you've had to overcome on your way to get where you are now and, and bring Devolver to the position that it's in. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, so when we were just—we got approached by Sony back in the. Days of Vita, where they were you know, trying to encourage people to bring games to Vita. Um, Rest in peace to the Vita. Which we were excited to do. Um, and uh, once that process starts, this thing called the LPA, the publisher agreement, turns up. Again, because I'm in London, it was sent to me. Uh, but of course, in those days, you needed to have a registered office. And we didn't. We all work from home. And uh, so. I spoke with Sony's lawyer. I said, "We don't have offices, so uh, we've got a PO box." Yeah. Uh, they're like, "No, you can't. 
You can't use that at all. That's not possible. So uh, I hit on this idea that Rick, who, who handles all of our finance, he, um, independent of Devolver, stay with me, he has a birdseed store in Austin, uh, which is a legitimate business, you know. Um, so we changed the PO box for Devolver to his birdseed store, and then we used that as our company address to go into the LPA so that we could get up and running and start making games. And um, I didn't think that anyone at Sony would go on Google Maps and check that out. And so I got this email from the lawyer saying, like, I've just a picture of this birdseed store. It's like, yes, that's our office. Honest. <laughs> so that actually was, yeah, that was my biggest, that was my biggest challenge, I think. It sounds like you've had a pretty good run then, if, yeah. that's, if that's been the hardest thing. Uh, to yeah, we have. We've been very fortunate. Yeah. Do you feel like it has been, like most developers talk about the grind, or I guess not just developers, but anyone that's in a position of success talks about the grind of the, you know, the early days especially to get where they are. Is that something that you guys feel together and I guess being part of it? must have been a huge reliance on each other to get through those harder times? Yeah, I mean, the, the first three years of Devolver, uh, I was doing contract work uh, in the day and doing Devolver in evenings and weekends and Nigel was working in an ad agency in Dallas. Uh, and when we did the original shows like E3, we were taking time off uh, from those jobs. Um, and so I think I think it did us a lot of good because when you when you don't have any money, you're very thoughtful about money. So that helps. And second of all, um, I think it was we saw similar uh, stories with the developers themselves. You know, like they themselves were not coming into this with any money. They didn't have any funding. They didn't have backers. They were just using Game Maker. You know, working the weekend. So there was I think. Perhaps that helped us again. We're pretty authentic in that regard. You'd understand the position that there a yeah. lot of the developers are in, I guess, being yeah. there yourselves as entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess the question next would be, what would be your advice to people who would like to be, I guess, doing what you're doing in, in this position where you're able to work in the games industry, where you're able to be a part of, of making the magic happen. You know, it's not. Uh, it's not that you're designers, you're not programming, you're not doing these things, but you're able to be a central part of, of bringing these games to life. And I guess people sometimes might not know what the path is to get there. So how do you advise people who see you and, and want to do what you're doing? Or does that never happen? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I know it has a little bit because my kid's 17 and you know some of our peers are at that age where they're heading off to university. Quite a few of them are very interested in video games. Yeah. Um, I think the first question you should ask of yourself is what area is it that you're interested in? Because if it's the publishing side, then I think that's probably the easier bit to get to because in the end, you're looking at people who have got, uh, you know, not the most in-depth skills, but decent levels of skills in terms of like, you know, how to communicate, how to dissemble information and re re regurgitate that, feed that to other people. Um, marketing and PR skills are uh, you know, these there are things that can be learned by leading from example. Um, so publishing, I would say that that's probably degree level education. 
and uh, and then applying for jobs. And there's, there's, there's always a lot going on in publishing. If it's development, I think there you've got to really think about what area you want to specialize in. Um, and one thing about the indie scene is that you'll find, you don't have, you don't have to go too far to find good advice. Uh, and you know whether it's coming to events like this, but also even just by going into the world of Google and just searching, like someone like Rami from Van Beer takes a great deal of time to try and help people understand different roles in game development and how you get there. Uh, he's not the only one, but he's very prolific in that. And most developers we work with, I know that the guys down in, uh, in, in Cape Town in South Africa, Free Lives, they run open days and seminars on an ongoing basis for anyone who's interested in game development. So there are lots of pockets that you can go and plug into to find out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's basically jump online, start sifting through, uh, and find people to talk to. Yeah, I think talking to someone that's done it is always the most helpful thing in those early days. Yeah. And I guess for you guys, being a company that started from humble beginnings, it must be really essential to be able to take on extra things outside of what you think maybe your main skill is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we started with five of us, but you know, Andrew was the sixth person to join because we needed a producer and then he hired Anna because he needed a producer to help him and each person has tended to that's how it's tended to go with us that as we bring someone in they identify areas that were you need to you know improve in so uh, and each person that's come in has come in with a level of experience that we didn't have yeah. so yeah it's great cool. thank god <laughs> absolutely so my last question for you and then I'll let you go Graham if you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail what would you do Anything. Anything. It's wide open. Oh well, I mean, it's, it's uh, it, I'd make people just be nice to each other. Um, it's just like you know, there's just no reason to be bitter and angry, you know. Uh, so that's what I'd like to do: is make us all just be a bit nicer. Um, sorry, that's really, really, you know, wishy-washy, but it's, it's good. <laughs> we just need to find a way to uh, to do that. Maybe there's a video game out there that will change the world. Well, it could be Fall Guys. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You heard it here Shameless first. Plug. Yeah, you heard it here first. There's four guys. It's going to make you hug each other. Warp, end world, uh, world hunger, and all wars cease to exist. Thank you so much for, for sharing your experiences. It's uh, been great to chat, and hope you enjoy the rest of your packs. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Graham on Twitter. He is at Grim1011. Of course, you can support this podcast with an iTunes rating and review. And if you want to go even further, you can head over to patreon.com slash weare8bit. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And that's where you can chip in a few dollars a month to help out myself, as well as the rest of the amazing content creators within the 8-Bit Collective. For now, you can hit me up at Johnny himself. And until next episode, keep putting in work.